This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of endochondral bone formation from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick introduction. Endochondral bone formation occurs in longitudinal physeal growth, embryonic long bone formation, and non-rigid fracture healing, otherwise known as secondary healing. In terms of cell biology, endochondral bone formation occurs with a cartilage model. Chondrocytes produce cartilage, which is absorbed by osteoclasts. Osteoblasts lay down bone on a cartilaginous framework. Remember that bone replaces cartilage. Cartilage is not converted to bone. Keep in mind that this cartilage model forms the primary trabecular bone. Bone deposition occurs on the metaphyseal side, and remember that type 10 collagen is associated with endochondral ossification. Moving on to molecular biology, chondrocytes play a critical role in endochondral bone formation throughout the formation of the cartilage intermediate. Transcription factors involved in regulation of chondrocytes include SOX9 and PTHRP. SOX9 is considered a major regulator of chondrogenesis, regulates several cartilage-specific genes during endochondral ossification, including collagen types 2, 4, and 11, as well as agrocan. PTHRP delays differentiation of chondrocytes in the zone of hypertrophy. In terms of biomechanics, variables that affect growth across the physis includes the Hutter-Volkmann law. Remember that compression across the growth plate slows longitudinal growth, and tension accelerates longitudinal growth. In terms of relevant anatomy, remember that the perichondrial artery is the major blood supply and subsequently the major source of nutrition to the physis. Now let's talk about the longitudinal physeal growth as far as the different zones of the physeal growth plate. So the physeal growth plate contains the reserve zone, the proliferative zone, the hypertrophic zone, and the primary and secondary spongiosa, which are both found in the metaphysis. In the reserve zone, cells store lipids, glycogen, and proteoglycan aggregates for later growth as well as matrix production. The reserve zone is also characterized by low oxygen tension. Important reserve zone abnormalities to remember include Gaucher's disease, diastrophic dysplasia, nice dysplasia, and pseudoachondroplasia. Moving on to the proliferative zone, there is proliferation of chondrocytes with longitudinal growth and stacking of chondrocytes. The proliferative zone has the highest rate of extracellular matrix production and the increased oxygen tension in the surroundings of the proliferative zone inhibits calcification. Important proliferative zone abnormalities to remember include achondroplasia, gigantism, and multiple hereditary exostosis. Moving on to the hypertrophic zone, this is the zone of chondrocyte maturation, chondrocyte hypertrophy, and chondrocyte calcification. Remember that three phases occur in the hypertrophic zone, the maturation zone, the degenerative zone, and the provisional calcification zone. In the maturation zone, there is preparation of the matrix for calcification and chondrocyte growth. In the degenerative zone, there is further preparation of the matrix for calcification and further chondrocyte growth in size, roughly five times the growth, in fact. In the provisional calcification zone, chondrocyte death allows calcium release, which allows calcification of the matrix. Chondrocyte maturation is regulated by local growth factors, like parathyroid-related peptides, and expression is regulated by the Indian hedgehog gene. Type 10 collagen is produced by the hypertrophic chondrocytes, which is important for mineralization in the hypertrophic zone. Important hypertrophic zone abnormalities to remember include skiffy or slipped capital femoral epiphysis, but keep in mind that renal skiffies are not included. Other important hypertrophic zone abnormalities to remember include rickets, which occurs in the provisional calcification zone specifically, and chondromas, mucopolysaccharide disease, acromegaly, 
spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia, multiple epiphyseal dysplasia, Nice syndrome, and pseudoachondroplasia. And it's important to remember that fractures most commonly occur through the zone of provisional calcification, specifically Salter-Harris 1 fractures. Moving on to the primary spongiosa of the metaphysis, this zone is characterized by vascular invasion and resorption of the transverse septa. Osteoblasts align on cartilage bars, which are produced by physeal expansion. Primary spongiosa are mineralized to form woven bone, and then it remodels to become secondary spongiosa, which we'll talk about in a moment. Important primary spongiosa abnormalities to remember include metaphyseal corner fractures in child abuse and scurvy. So now to round out the physeal growth plate, we'll talk about the secondary spongiosa. This zone is characterized by internal remodeling, such as removal of cartilage bars and replacement of fibrous bone with lamellar bone. External remodeling, otherwise known as funnelization, also takes place in the secondary spongiosa. Important secondary spongiosa abnormalities to remember include renal skiffy. Now let's move out to the physis periphery and talk about two important regions of the physis periphery, and those are the groove of Ranvier and the perichondrial fibrous ring of Lacroix. So with respect to the groove of Ranvier, during the first year of life, this zone spreads over the adjacent metaphysis to form a fibrous circumferential ring bridging from the epiphysis to the diaphysis. This ring increases the mechanical strength of the physis and is responsible for appositional bone growth. And this ring basically supplies chondrocytes to the periphery. Osteochondromas are typically found in this zone. As far as the perichondrial fibrous ring of Lacroix, this is basically a dense fibrous tissue that is the primary limiting membrane that anchors and supports the physis through peripheral stability. Now let's move on to talk a little bit about embryonic long bone formation. And the quick overview of this process is that it allows for growth in width as well as length, and it is formed from the mesenchymal onlaga around the sixth week in utero. Steps of formation include vascularization, then the primary ossification centers form, then the cartilage model forms, then the marrow forms, and finally the secondary ossification centers form. In the vascularization step, vascular buds invade the mesenchymal model. Then at approximately eight weeks, the primary ossification centers form when the osteoprogenitor cells migrate through the vascular buds and differentiate into osteoblasts, forming the primary ossification centers. As far as the cartilage model formation, this grows through appositional and interstitial growth. Remember that appositional refers to width and interstitial refers to length. As far as marrow formation, the marrow is formed by resorption of the central portion of the cartilage onlaga by myeloid precursor cells that migrate in through the vascular buds. Finally, secondary ossification centers form by developing at the bone ends, and that leads to the epiphyseal ossification center, otherwise known as the growth plate. Lastly, let's quickly talk about non-rigid fracture healing. And the quick overview is that this mechanism of bone formation is similar to physeal endochondral ossification. With respect to the relevant cell biology, soft callus is the cartilage intermediate, and then bone replaces callus by the same chondrocyte proliferation, chondrocyte hypertrophy, and finally chondrocyte calcification. Examples of non-rigid fracture healing include casting as well as bracing and intramedullary nailing, which allows for motion at the fracture site. And this promotes bone formation both directly through intramembranous ossification and through a cartilage intermediate, as is the case in endochondral ossification. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. Which of the following would lead to accelerated maturation in the zone of hypertrophy at the physis? And the choices are 1, an activating mutation in TGF-beta, 2, a deactivating mutation in the parathyroid hormone-related peptide or PTHRP receptor, 
three, a deactivating mutation in prostaglandin E2, four, an activating mutation in the SMAD3 protein, and five, an activating mutation in the Indian hedgehog protein. The correct answer to this question is two, a deactivating mutation in the parathyroid hormone-related peptide, or PTHRP receptor. So a deactivating mutation in the parathyroid hormone-related peptide receptor would lead to accelerated maturation in the zone of hypertrophy. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, an activating mutation in TGF-beta is incorrect, as TGF-beta is a potent inhibitor of maturation, including cell hypertrophy, type 10 collagen expression, and alkaline phosphatase activity. An activating mutation would lead to decelerated maturation at the physis. Answer 3. A deactivating mutation in prostaglandin E2 is incorrect, as prostaglandin E2 has not been shown to affect cell proliferation and maturation at the physis. Answer 4. An activating mutation in the SMAD3 protein is incorrect, as SMAD3 increases the activity of TGF-beta. This would lead to decelerated maturation at the physis. And finally, answer five, an activating mutation in the Indian hedgehog protein is incorrect, as Indian hedgehog controls the release of PTHRP from chondrocytes. Activating Indian hedgehog would lead to more production of PTHRP, which would delay maturation at the physis. To quickly review, PTHRP has been shown to play an important role in the regulation of cell proliferation at the physis. It is postulated that physeal chondrocytes regulate the local production of PTHRP, secreting a protein called Indian hedgehog, as we just mentioned. Indian hedgehog stimulates the chondrocytes to produce PTHRP, which slows the maturation of proliferative chondrocytes. Balak et al. discussed the biology of the growth plate. With regards to cell proliferation, they describe how the proliferation of chondrocytes in the growth plate is under the control of a feedback loop involving PTHRP, Indian hedgehog, and TGF-beta. Moving on to the next question. A 10-year-old male presents to the emergency department after his ankle came into contact with the rotating blades of a lawnmower. He has a deep open laceration over his medial malleolus, and a radiograph demonstrates a Salter-Harris 6 injury. There is concern for a peripheral growth plate injury in the region of the groove of Ranvier. What is this region of the growth plate responsible for? And the choices are 1. Longitudinal bone growth, 2. Oppositional bone growth, 3. Supplying cartilage cells to the articular surface, four, calcification of the matrix within the growth plate, and five, organization of the growth plate into distinct zones of proliferation and hypertrophy. The correct answer to this question is two, appositional bone growth. So the groove of Ranvier is a wedge-shaped zone of cells contiguous with the epiphysis at the periphery. It supplies chondrocytes to the periphery and is responsible for appositional growth of the physis. The perichondrial ring, which is another component of the physis periphery, is a dense fibrous ring which is critical to the overall stability of the growth plate. A Salter-Harris 6 injury, as is seen in this patient, is rare and most commonly results from traumatic lacerations or burns and cause injury to the growth plate periphery. The proliferative zone of the growth plate is responsible for longitudinal growth and the resting zone coordinates growth plate organization and supplies developing cartilage cells. Calcification of the matrix within the growth plate occurs in the hypertrophic zone. Moving on to the next question. Sustained compression applied to a growth plate under experimental conditions has what effect? And the choices are one, no effect, two, accelerated longitudinal growth, three, decelerated longitudinal growth, four, decelerated apposition growth, and five, decreased bending strength of the bone. 
the correct answer to this question is three, decelerated longitudinal growth. So the Hooter-Volkman law states that compression across the growth plate slows longitudinal growth. Stokes et al. demonstrated that sustained compression across the growth plate can decrease longitudinal growth by 40%. Tension across the physis increases growth, but to a lesser degree. Moving on to the next question, gigantism affects which region of the growth plate? And the choices are one, the epiphysis, answer two, the resting zone, answer three, the proliferative zone, answer four, the hypertrophic zone, and answer five, the metaphysis. The correct answer to this question is three, the proliferative zone. So gigantism, like achondroplasia, affects the proliferative zone. Gigantism is typically caused by a pituitary adenoma which oversecretes growth hormone. Its effect on the proliferative zone results in bone overgrowth and excessive height and limb length. Acromegaly may also be caused by a pituitary adenoma that oversecretes growth hormone, but has its effect once the physis has closed. Moving on to the next question. What region of the physis does type 10 collagen play a prominent role? And the choices are one, resting zone, two, proliferative zone, three, zone of hypertrophy, four, metaphysis, and five, diaphysis. The correct answer to this question is three, zone of hypertrophy. So type 10 collagen is important for bone mineralization and is produced by hypertrophic chondrocytes in the zone of hypertrophy. There are four zones of the physis. The first is the resting zone, which is characterized by widely dispersed chondrocytes, abundant matrix, and is relatively inactive in cell or matrix turnover. The second zone is the proliferative zone. It is characterized by longitudinal columns of flattened cells, significant endoplasmic reticulum, and high ionized calcium. The third zone is the hypertrophic zone. It is characterized by enlargement of cells, persistent metabolic activity, accumulate calcium, synthesize alkaline phosphatase and type 10 collagen, and aiding in mineralization. The final zone in the metaphysis comprises the primary and secondary spongiosa layers. These layers are characterized by vascular invasion and bone remodeling, respectively. And moving on to the final question, Salter-Harris type 1 fractures typically occur through which zone of the physis? And the choices are 1, the resting zone, 2, the proliferative zone, 3, the zone of maturation, 4, zone of degeneration, and 5, zone of provisional calcification. The correct answer to this question is 5, zone of provisional calcification. So physeal fractures occur in the zone of provisional calcification, which is a part of the hypertrophic zone. The transition from the soft cartilage to the hard calcified metaphysis puts the zone at risk for fracture. That's all for this review about endochondral bone formation. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. 
We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.